Hello, this is Jeremiah Griever, and welcome to another episode of the podcast series, What Does the Bible Say About Blank? The podcast series where we consider what the Bible has to say about various issues of life and various aspects of how to live life. Today, we've got a great episode for you. We're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about judging others. And let me tell you why I think this is an important topic that we need to talk about, and even more significantly, that we need to know what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, I've, I've been on social media, and, and probably you have as well, when I've seen people say something to the effect of, well, we ought not to judge others, or, or the Bible says don't judge others. And so it's almost like that's the end statement, that, that if the Bible says not to judge others, then we can't call sin sin, or we ought not to tell somebody that they are doing something wrong. And so this is something that's pervasive. In fact, I would, I would venture to say that if if somebody knows something about the Bible and they're trying to to dissuade you from applying the Bible, it's probably because they're applying this statement from Matthew 7, 1 of judge not lest ye also be judged, at least putting it in the King James Version. I also heard this recently in a Q&A session, uh, and I'll just briefly mention it from the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. The pastor, Heath Lambert, had a Q&A. The church has a statement on sexuality that they've recently put out, that they've asked the members to sign. There's been a a lot of people who have been upset, especially in the Jacksonville community. And there was a woman who came to the Q&A from the community. And one of the things that she said is she agrees with the statement on human sexuality of what the Bible has to say about human sexuality. But she doesn't think that we should be judging others. And so though she agrees with the biblical truth, she doesn't agree that we need to hold other people to that biblical truth. And here I have to say, I understand the sentiment to a certain degree. And by that, I mean, I understand how it's a lot easier and it's a lot more natural to me and I think to all humans to not want to judge other people and to not have other people judge us. Think about it. If no one can judge me or tell me what I ought to do, what I ought to believe, or how I ought to live my life, well, then I'm in complete abject control of my life. And that's the natural state of the human condition. I want to be in control. And as soon as somebody tells me that I'm doing something wrong or I need to do something differently, that's a loss of my sense of control. And so I understand this notion of wanting to have control by not being judged uh, but the question becomes, is that what the Bible says? And we need to understand what the Bible says, because whatever the Bible says, that's what we've got to do for our own lives, as well as applying it to others. So let me begin this uh, understanding of what the Bible says by just saying very clearly that there are a couple of passages that seem to indicate, at least from our cursory view of just looking at these verses, they seem to suggest that we ought not to judge one another. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. James 4.12. If you've read James 4.12, this is what James says. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, we could read that and we could say, well, see, uh, I'm not God. God is the lawgiver. God is the judge. So who am I to judge others? That seems to give an indication that we ought not to be judging others. And of course, when people say, don't judge one another, most of the time, if not every time, they're referring to what Jesus said in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. 
in Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, in the first five verses, this is what Jesus says. And I'm going to read all five of these verses because I think it's instructive to understanding the context and also what Jesus is really trying to say. So this is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Again, this is Jesus speaking, quote, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. There it is right out of the gate. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, verse 5 says, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, there's a lot that we can say here, and we're going to unpack it just here in a moment with some points of what does the Bible have to say about judging others. But let's just make this very clear. Jesus does say, do not judge one another. And if you do, then you will be judged. So, it's pretty clear that the Bible says not to judge. However, the Bible's also going to say that we ought to judge others in a certain way. So the question that we need to ask is, how do we put the Bible together? It, was God schizophrenic when he put the Bible together saying one thing at one point and another thing at another point? Maybe the question is, if we are called to judge in other places, as we're going to see here in a moment, maybe what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 7 has more to do with how we judge and how we judge is a very important thing. So let me give a couple of statements here and let me give you seven, or I'm sorry, six things that I'm going to tell you about what the Bible has to say about judging. And then I'll, I'll end with some final applications. So let me give you six statements about what the Bible has to say about judging. Number one, and, and this really comes especially from the passage in Matthew 7 that I just read from, and this is the statement, God calls us not to judge others without applying the same biblical standard to ourselves. Let me say that again. God calls us to not judge others without applying the same biblical standard to ourselves. Remember that Jesus is talking, yes, to the Israelites, but he's especially talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the scribes. He's talking to the to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of his day. And, and one of the things that we see from the Pharisees is hypocrisy, uh, that they would tell people to do one thing, and yet they would then go and do the exact same thing they were telling other people not to do. And I think that we see that in this text in Matthew 7, especially in verses 4 and 5, when Jesus starts talking about the the things in their eyes. Uh, and of course, we understand that Jesus is not being a literalist here. He's not saying that that your, your neighbor has a, a speck in, in their eye and you literally have a log in your eye. What is he saying? He's saying that you cannot try to tell somebody else not to do something when you are doing the exact same thing. And that's that's the big problem that Jesus is getting at here. People who want to say, hey, you should stop doing this and then turn around and they're doing the exact same thing that they've said not to do. And, and Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 when he says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because, listen to this, you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Did you hear that? You practice the same thing. And then Paul continues in Romans 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who 
practice such things, of doing the same thing that they judge others of. Do not suppose, O man, Paul says, you who judge those who practice such things and yet you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. Do you see that the problem there is that you are doing? The problem of judging others is doing the same thing. God is very interested, very involved in what are we doing. And so when we ask this question, what does the Bible have to say about judging others? We have to say that you cannot judge someone else if you're doing the exact same thing. That is the seat of hypocrisy. There's a second thing that we need to say here about what the Bible has to say about judging others, and and that's this. Scripture tells us that we can and ought to judge, but solely from what is discernible, that's outward, not from what is hidden, that's the desires and the motives. That is to say that Scripture says you and I cannot judge based off of the things we cannot see, which is the inside of a person's heart. However, we can and ought to judge from the things we can see. Now, this is very important. Because if we're not careful, we might think, well, I'm supposed to judge others, and I see this person, and I think that they're doing this for that reason. Well, the reality is that we do not know the hidden state of a person's heart. We can see the fruit of a person's heart. We can see the outworkings of a person's heart. But we cannot clearly, discernibly, confidently, absolutely know what is the absolute desire and motive and heart desire from another person. We can know that about ourselves. We can we can hear somebody else tell us what their desires are, but we cannot say that we know what somebody else is thinking or saying or doing. That's what God knows. God is the one who knows the heart of man. And, and scripture says this repeatedly. Proverbs 21.1 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart, not us. God knows the heart. We ought to judge, as again, as we'll see here in a moment, what we can see, but the things we cannot see, only God knows. Psalm 44, 21 says this, Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Jeremiah 17, 10. What an important, famous passage. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The, the idea here is, is that we ought not to judge based on the things that we are presuming or assuming of what's inside somebody else's heart. Tim Challies puts it this way, We may judge doctrine and behavior by the objective standards of right and wrong that are given to us in Scripture. What we may not do, though, is judge a person's heart and motives. John MacArthur would put it this way, What Jesus forbids is self-righteous, officious, hasty, unmerciful, prejudiced, and unwarranted condemnation based on human standards and human reasoning. He condemns the judgment of motives, which no mere human being can know of another, and to judgment of external forms. The idea is, whatever this judgment is that we're called to do, as we're going to see just here in a moment, it cannot be of things that we are presuming of the hidden internal man of our neighbor. We just cannot know the heart of another, but God does. That leads to a third third thing that we need to say about what the Bible has to say about judging others. And I think this is really where all of it kind of starts to come together. We need to say that God has already rendered his judgment and Christians are called to apply his judgment. 
So when we talk about Christians judging, and I don't really like using that expression, and I think what we'll probably use going forward is the word rebuke, because I think that's more applicable and certainly the the biblical word that we're going to see going forward. When Christians speak to someone else about sin or wrong thinking or wrongdoing, this discernible things that I can see or hear in another— What we are saying is, this is not what I think. I'm not applying what I'm conscious bound to. I'm simply helping you see this is already the judgment that God has given. So when someone says, only God can judge others, Christians ought to say, absolutely right. And when we open the word of God, he's already given us his judgment on others. So let's just say a Christian says, or, some, or at least someone who says that they are a Christian, uh, they, they say, I, I am believing in Jesus, and yet they are living in sin, at least what the Bible says is sin. Well, what's the, hum- the Christian response to that person? The Christian response is, God has already rendered his judgment. We don't have to wonder what does God think about that action if he's already told us that action. That's the idea of Christian judgment. It's not applying things that maybe I and my conscience feel I ought not to do, and therefore I need to tell you that you need to not do that. Instead, it's saying, what has the word of God said? What has the judgment of God that he's clearly revealed in scripture? What does that say? And then help another person understand the mind of God. It's very important for us to say that Jesus is describing we ought not to apply our own judgments. That's very true. But he's not saying that we shouldn't apply God's judgments. That's a very important distinction. We apply the judgments of God, not the judgments of man. And let me just say this then. If you are a Christian listening to this podcast series, first of all, I'm very thankful that you're listening. But secondly, I would also say this. You and I need to be diligent learners and studiers of the Word of God to know what does the Word of God say. That is the only way that we will be able to rebuke one another, lead one another, draw one another closer to Christ, is if we know clearly what the Word of God says and we know how to apply it. I think that leads into the fourth thing that we can say about what the Bible has to say about judging others, and it's this. Telling others what God's judgments are, as we just said, must be loving. It must be loving. And here's a couple of just uh, verses, and then I'm going to give you a couple of examples of this. Proverbs 27, 5. I would encourage you to look up Proverbs 27, 5 if you've been struggling with this issue especially. The Solomon says, better is open rebuke, and I think that's a better word than judgment, at least in our common vernacular. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Let's turn that around. Hidden rebuke, or open rebuke, That is better than hidden love. Well, what does open love do? Open love is open rebuke. That's what open love looks like. It's observable love. It's helping somebody understand what God would have them to do. Or listen to James 5.20. James, this is the very last verse in the book of James, says this. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What greater love can you have for your fellow man than to help a person come back to Christ and literally, as James says, save that person's soul? What an amazing testament of the love that leads us to not be quiet, that hidden love from Proverbs 27, but instead to speak 
clearly about the judgments already rendered by God. Now, I can imagine some of us are here and maybe we're struggling thinking, I just don't know how this applies. This is a difficult concept for me to understand. So let me give you a couple of examples here. And perhaps these are superfluous, unnecessary, but they might really help us think through this in very practical ways. So just an example of what this love looks like of judging or or rebuking others. I want you to imagine that you're in a car. And, and in this car, uh, you're the you're in the passenger seat and somebody else is driving and there's no posted speed limit, but you know exactly what the speed limit is. And you know that your friend who's driving is going over the speed limit. You also know that there's a cop who's sitting up ahead and he's hiding behind a billboard. And you know that this cop just loves to catch people who are speeding through here. What is the most loving thing to do for your friend who's driving over the speed limit who's about to pass a police officer? Well, the most loving thing to do for a lot of reasons would be to tell this person, hey, you need to slow down, you're breaking the law, and there's going to be consequences to that. So too is the rebuke of a Christian to someone who is sinning. There is love because you know, A, they're breaking the law of God, God's judgment's already given, and B, you know that there's going to be direct consequences to that. Let me up the ante a little bit with a second example. Suppose you know that there's a house and you know inside the house there's a man who's just completely crazy. He has a loaded shotgun and he's sitting in his chair right behind the front door with that loaded shotgun pointed to the front door ready to blast the next person who walks through the door. Suppose you're outside the house and your friend comes up and your friend begins to go up to the front door to go inside the house where the man with the loaded shotgun is. And I don't mean this in some ridiculous way. I mean this in a very serious way. What is the most loving thing to do for your friend in that moment? The most loving thing to do is to not just be quiet and let that person go to where harm will be found upon himself. But instead, the most loving thing to do is to warn that person, don't do what you're about to do. There's a better way and there's danger behind this door that you are following. So too is the rebuke of the Christian. Let me give you one more example here, and I don't mean to to push this too far, but what's the most loving thing to do if you have a child or if you have a friend or if you have a brother or a sister who is harming themselves, self-harm, or they are threatening or wanting to take their own life? Uh, if, if you were to walk in, and of course, this is a hard analogy, but if you were to walk in on somebody that you love who's hurting themselves, you're not going to just walk away and say, I hope they can figure that out. I'm just going to let God judge them, not me. A loving person is going to do anything they can to stop the person whom they love from inflicting physical harm to themselves. I think that's a basic common agreement. But think about the stakes in the spiritual realm. In the spiritual realm, if somebody is pervasively continuing in sin, we're not talking about physical harm. We're talking about eternal spiritual condemnation that will be upon their souls. The Christian response is to say, I love you enough. This is what God has said. And these are the consequences if we don't follow what God has said. It's love that leads us to saying this is what God would have us to do. Number five, what does the Bible have to say about judging others? Well, we have to say that judging others is for the good purpose of restoration with God. Judging others is for the good purpose of restoration with God. We have to be very plain here. Sin disrupts a person's relationship with God any and every time. That's why sin is such a serious thing. And so if somebody does have a speck in their eye, going back to Matthew 7, 
yes, we need to make sure that our log is out of our eye and we're not guilty of the same sin, but the speck still matters. If you've ever had something in your eye, you know, this is a significant problem. It changes your whole day if you can't get it out. It's, we need to help one another be restored to a right relationship with God. Otherwise, sin will still be in the eye of our neighbor. So Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Paul says this, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Keep that in the back of your mind, a spirit of gentleness. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, but bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. This is the idea of restoration. It's the idea that if you see a married friend who's flirting with adultery and you see that they're going in a direction that's not good, your greatest act of love is to draw your friend away from that great evil and back to the one whom they've covenanted with to restore that person to the spouse. The idea is the same in the Christian life. We are seeking to restore the bride of Christ individually back to the Father and to Christ. That leads to the sixth and final point that we want to make here about what does the Bible say about judging others. And it's it's broadening this out from the individual aspects that we often think about judging others. Normally, when we talk about judging others, it's, it's one person to another person. It's this person is doing something that they want to do, and another person is saying you ought not to do that. But we need to think about bigger concepts going on. And that's why number six is this, judging others is important for keeping the church holy, for keeping the bride of Christ holy. There's a corporate reality to sin being allowed in a church because the bride of Christ is not to have the stain of sin in the members and to be allowed in the body. So 1 Timothy 5.20 says this, and it's speaking about elders, but listen to the principle that he's trying to say. Paul says, as for those who persist in sin, okay, that's the context. Those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all of the whole church so that the rest may stand in fear. You see, the concept here is making sure that the church is holy and not following in that sin. We won't go into Matthew 18, but I would encourage you to look up Matthew 18, 15 through 17, which talks about church discipline, which gets at the heart of if there is someone in the church who is continuing in sin, you confront them, you rebuke them privately. If that doesn't work or if they don't return from their sin, then you take two or three witnesses. And there's a lot more that we could say about what that looks like. But just here for our sake and purposes now, you're going to them and still saying, brother, sister, turn from this great evil, from what the judgment of God has already said. And then if they still haven't turned from two or three witnesses, then you bring it to the church. And if the person still doesn't turn from their sin, then excommunication or removing that person from membership, which is simply saying this person has given clear evidence. They do not want to do what God has said. Therefore, we have no confidence of saying this person is indeed a child of God. You see that practically played out in 1 Corinthians 5 when they do excommunicate someone who is in a wretched sin. And then you see the restoration of 2 Timothy or 2 Corinthians 2, when someone then is restored to the church following a lot of sin. Mark Dever would put it this way, and this is from Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. 
He put it this way about judging others and this idea of keeping a church holy. He said, quote, certainly in Matthew 7, 1, Jesus did forbid judging in one sense, and we've talked about that. But for now, note that if you read through that same gospel of Matthew, you'll find that Jesus also clearly called us to rebuke others for sin, even rebuking them publicly if need be. And then he goes to Matthew 18. Continuing on, Dever says, Whatever Jesus meant by not judging in Matthew 7, he didn't mean to rule out the kind of judging he mandated in Matthew 18. If you think about it, it is not really surprising that we as a church should be instructed to judge. And this next statement by Dever is, I think, really the crux of the matter. After all, if we cannot say how a Christian should not live, how can we say how a Christian should live? I think that's the whole point, don't you? If we are going to say the fruits of the Spirit are these, then we have to be able to say these are not the fruits of the Spirit, and we need to make a distinction and distinguish them from one another. Let me close with some final applications. These applications are just things that I think would be helpful for each one of us if we're, as we're thinking through judging others, rebuking others, speaking into one another's lives, even the hard truths of God's judgments that he's already given. I'll go through these quickly as we come to a close. Number one, be sure to examine yourself and repent of any sin in your own heart. Again, that's Matthew 7, this idea that there's sin in your own life. Take care of that before you would dare to talk to someone else about their sin. Make sure that your heart is right before God. Number two, always be motivated by love. 1 Corinthians 13, if I have faith that can move mountains and yet have not love, I've gained nothing. Or chapter 16, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Everything that we do in judging or rebuking others must be done in love. Number three, truly desire the best for one another. Judging others has nothing to do about self-righteousness or self-motivation. It's always for the best of the person that we are talking to. Number four, always speak and go forward with grace. Remember Galatians chapter six, verse one, restore one another gently. That's the idea. Let everything we do be seasoned with grace. Number five, fear God more than fearing man. We must fear what God has said and our lack of applying that more than how somebody might receive what we say. Fear God rather than fearing man. Number six, be patient, gentle, understanding, and humble. Number seven, receive rebuke from others graciously and thankfully. If we want to help others have sin removed from their life, we need to be willing to do the same and to hear the same and receive the same and number eight, finally, is study scripture for yourself, understand it, and be able to help others when they get it wrong. Yes, there will be many who say, but doesn't the Bible say not to judge others? We need to be ready to give a defense to say, yes, it does say that, but let me tell you what it means and why it's a very good thing that God has already given his judgments and we must apply his judgments in love and grace and for the purpose of restoration. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today for this uh, podcast episode of What Does the Bible Say About Judging Others? We hope you'll join us next time as we talk about another topic about what does the Bible say about blank. We'll look forward to seeing you then.